That's me rubbing my hands together because Team Happiness, we are in for a real treat today. This has been a long time coming, but our dear friend Tony Overbay has come on to the show and shared so much value, and it was such an honor and a privilege to have him join us. So I cannot wait for you to dive into the mind of the one and only Tony Overbay and bask in his wisdom and all of his positivity. He is an MVP for Team Happiness, and I am so excited for you to listen to this episode. For those of you who do not know who Tony Overbay is... Tony is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified mindful habit coach, a popular motivational speaker, and the host and creator of the Virtual Couch podcast, which has been going for almost four years strong now, I think. He is a master, a dear friend, and a very wise guide for us here on Team Happiness. We go into a lot of fun topics, so buckle up. Because here we go. Welcome to the Happiness Playbook, a podcast where we explore the why and how of happiness. I'm your host, Neil Hooper, and I just wanted to remind you that life is a team sport, so let's play together. Tony Overbay, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have you on the Happiness Playbook. You are just such a source of wisdom and knowledge and happiness. You are just infectious with your energy. And so it's so fun to have you on the Happiness Playbook to share some um, of your wisdom and light (laughs) with our listeners. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I was, I'm was i just blushing. I was going to say, okay, enough, Neil. You're the most positive person I've ever met. So how dare you put me in that same category? And also, I have been really a fan of the podcast. You know, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm a huge fan of Larise. And so this is in my regular rotation. And for anyone listening right now, Neil just came from my virtual couch podcast, which that was an amazing episode. But I had a true confession there that I love your podcast because it really does give me a little boost of energy. And I honestly challenge myself to do um, the pro tips, the takeaways. And so you have become a regular part of my routine. So I thank you. What an honor. We wouldn't have this show without you. You have mentored us and helped us learn how to podcast. So we are so grateful for you and all the, the goodness that you share. So thank you for for joining today. We got so many fun things to dive into I remember early on in the podcast and I was at a my son's basketball tournament and I remember it was in Corona, California. And I don't know if you remember this, but I'm, I'm on a run. I'm listening. And you and Truman gave me a little bit of a shout out and I stopped and I took a picture. I don't know if you remember that. And I sent <laughs> yes. you a text and I just said, oh, my gosh, I'm so honored. This is amazing. So I really I'm a big I really am a listener and a fan. So you're being nice with saying my role in this. But you guys are putting out some great content. Tony, first off. I want you to share, since you've been listening, you've been such an integral part, you're familiar with play theory. I want you just kind of at a high level, just share what you love about play theory or how you see it helping, helping other people. Just tell us what your thoughts are. One of the funniest, funniest things to me is that I 
remember I had a daughter that participated in TNT. I've been to so many TNT shows. I would go to the TNT improv shows and be very uncomfortable, hoping they wouldn't call me out. I mean, so I've really, I've loved everything about uh, TNT. And so then play theory would come up over and over again. And I remember just really appreciating it. And I didn't realize, I almost felt like it was its own thing. And then as I was growing as a therapist and learning different modalities and strengths and things that I felt like were really effective, I settled in on this model called acceptance and commitment therapy. And I did, I started to notice that I felt like play theory had so many correlations to acceptance and commitment therapy that I felt like, man, you guys really have a tiger by the tail, so to speak, of ways to teach these pretty deep therapeutic principles to people in a more tangible way. And I remember when you and I started talking more, when we were starting to work together, there was a tiny bit of uh, of lovable jealousy that I realized, oh, these principles are much more tangible and easier to teach through what you guys have put together in play theory than me trying to sound very nerdy and use big psychological words. So from (laughs) just a, you know, I don't know if that's, isn't really a lot of tangible things to pull from, but I think there's this part of me that's just saying it's therapist approved because there are so many things that are about whether it's the, I mean, my favorite is the let go and play because I feel like, you know, that is, and I don't know if we want to jump right in there now, but let's do it. Let's jump. Okay. In. I just love this concept of how often we want to play and, but we're so in our heads about why we shouldn't play. That's not what I should be doing as a parent. I might embarrass myself or I might embarrass somebody else, or I'm not even sure what play looks like now that I'm a father or those sort of things. And so now if we weave into my, my favorite therapy mo- modality, is when we can really find something that matters or something of value. And I think connection with others or being a good parent, that those are real values. I think those are real core values that we have. So then when we start to point ourselves in in alignment with our values, and and if I do see my kid playing, I think about this often. I remember it was actually Temple Square and there was one of those fountains and my kids were kind of playing around there. And I felt like the older adults around me that I was supposed to say, hey, kids, don't do that. But I remember having this aha moment where I felt like, oh, please do that. And as a matter of fact, I would enjoy doing that. And I remember having this moment where I thought, okay, I want to play. And and here are these other people that I worry that if I do it, they're going to be disappointed in me. And the therapy model that I love, that's called a socially compliant goal. It's that I'm doing something because I think I'm supposed to, or I don't want to let somebody else down, or I'm doing it because I think that they will be happy with that. And so I realized in that moment, that if we're living a life full of these socially compliant goals, our our life is pretty, I don't mean to sound very dramatic, but it can not feel like there has a lot of purpose or meaning. But then taking that step to let go and play and go literally uh, take my shoes and socks off and roll up my pant legs and get in the fountain with my kids, on the way over that, you take action on that and you get a little dopamine spike and it's like, yeah, this is great. This is what I want to do. But boy, as soon as you start heading in this unknown path, even though it's a value-based goal, your brain will say, well, yeah, but people are going to, they're going to say you're a bad parent or what are you going to do when you get in there? Uh, what are people going to think? Or what if somebody's disappointed? And so your brain still comes up with all these, well, yeah, buts. And so yes. I, I feel like even when we have the best of intentions, how important is it to have that concept of let go and play, especially when we can identify things that we really want to do with our lives. So that is what I have thought about that so many times of that let go and play concept in moments where I realize I really wish I was doing something in this moment. And then I think, well, then why am I not doing that? I need to let go and I need to go play. Even if others around me are saying, oh, I wouldn't do that. Well, I'm like, well, okay, great. You will not be doing that. I'll be having fun. So that's that's what I love about this. You just shared so many awesome things. So as we become adults, as we grow, 
play gets harder. Yeah. It, probably because we make it harder. But I'm curious to know, as adults, what are some of the, the benefits of letting go and playing? And how does that, as a parent, especially impact your relationship with your child? Oh, man, I love that question. So I feel like what play does for a human being is we're designed to have a life full of all the emotions. We're going to have the ups, we're going to have the downs, we're going to have the good and the bad. And so often I do feel like we are just trying to show up as a version of someone that we think we're supposed to be. And when we're little, we think that the adults have everything figured out. We think that the adults don't want to play. And we think that the adults have everything under control and that they know all the answers. And then, so when we become the adult, we realize, oh, I don't have all the answers. I still want to play. <laughs> and then I feel like, I, sometimes I feel like we're in a room. I say this often, well, I'll be in some environment and I'll look around and, I, and I'll say, we're just a bunch of uh, little kids wearing suits, pretending that we know what we're doing. And I think about that <laughs> often. Right. And so then what I love is, and I'm going to be super honest here. Uh, you know, I'd spent 10 years in the computer software industry. I, I, that was living a completely socially compliant life and not realizing I didn't know what I didn't know. And then when I finally found this passion therapy and being able to help people, and now I've been doing it almost 20 years, really step into that role. And then when you show up with competence, because you're living a more purpose-filled life, then it is fascinating that when I then say, oh no, I'm going to play, I feel like I'm shocked at how many people around me say, oh yeah, I want to as well. So sometimes I feel like people are just looking for permission to then really tap into the things that they really want to do as well. I, I don't think I connected the pieces of that story that I was telling, but for some reason, I felt like when I joined this world of, hey, I'm a therapist, when I was a software salesman, if I want to go splash around in the puddle, then I felt like people were still saying, oh, I wouldn't do that. But when I'm saying, you know, and then if I'm like, oh no, I'm a therapist, I'm going to go splash around in the puddle. For some reason, people say, oh, okay, well, then it must be good for you then. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it just, it, it's so fascinating to me to just see that at our core, I feel like we all want to go splash around in the puddle. And so I feel like sometimes you just need to be the person that's going to go splash with your kid, or you're going to need to, I don't know, throw the food at them, or you need to do whatever it is, because that's <laughs> what, what we want to do at our core. Oh, that's so good. And it's so hard. I love this principle as well, because it's two parts. It's the let go and the play. And it's Ooh. really hard to play if you don't let go of some of the things. And you've really touched on the social compliance. And we're doing this episode. We're now starting a brand new year, 2022. Mm -hmm. And people have set goals. People have these aspirations. And hopefully some of those goals are outside your comfort zone. You're stretching. Yeah. You're, you're trying to play. But you have to let go first of the social compliance. And so I know we recorded an episode on the virtual podcast yeah. or the virtual couch about a socially compliant goals, but I just want to touch on that here in case anyone missed that. How does the let go of social compliance and play tie into goal setting? Yeah. I hope that people will go find that episode because Neil was pure gold. He really was. And, <laughs> and we went long and deep about Neil and my relationship. And I, alluded to it's the chocolate meets peanut butter vibe because Neil had some incredible ideas about goal setting, but yet was aware of some of the struggles or challenges that people had in setting goals. And I felt like I, in my therapist world, had come from a completely place to where I, I felt like I don't even want to set goals because I feel like when people are setting goals that aren't in alignment with their values, I, I had kind of overswung and, and I would say that people were in essence, setting themselves up for failure, because when they would set themselves up to do this, achieve a goal that they really didn't care about, then inevitably life is going to happen. And then they are not going to be able to, they aren't going to stick to that goal. And now here comes shame and they're going to do the what's wrong with me. I must be, 
I must be broken. I must be, I can't believe I can't even keep this goal. But then when you start to find that if you are trying to achieve a goal that is really of, of value to you, that is in alignment with your values, now you are going to be a little bit more engaged. You're going to find a little more sense of purpose. And then what I love that Neil and I talked about often was that, but even still, you're going to have days where you're going to be hungry or angry or lonely or tired or bored or uh, frustrated. And so then you may not still um, accomplish or do the things that you really feel like are part of of that goal or that value-based goal. And then even still, then we'll beat ourselves up and think what's wrong with me. Neil and I just talked a lot on my podcast about that if you're going through that, you're a human being. I mean, so those things happen, but then it's important to still uh, give yourself grace and, and note those experiences and get back on the saddle. And, and this is so good too, because now we're tying in accept and build as well, right? Because oh, when yeah. those hard days come, when you fail or mess up or stumble, which is inevitable because we are all human, it is so important to just accept that, to validate that and look at the holistic picture. Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves, but if you just take a step back and kind of take the, the 10,000 foot view, you're like, wow, I mean, that makes sense why I, I stumbled there. You know, it makes sense why that was a harder day for me because I had all these things going on or it was a late night with the kids or whatever, but to just accept and validate and then build on that too is very powerful. And I didn't, I wasn't anticipating that application there for accept and build, but it, it totally comes in as well because you have to, you have to let go of that social compliance in order to play the game of life, right? Yeah. Which we know is a team sport, but you also need to accept and build and kind of roll with the punches too when things don't quite pan out the way that you hope they did. So I love that you brought that in there. I like when you're framing it that way. One of my other favorite concepts is that our brain is wired for patterns. It wants order and structure. And so for better or worse happens is that there's this term called a cognitive distortion. And one of the, the main cognitive distortions we have are, is all or nothing thinking or black or white thinking. And so we feel like that things have to either be this way or that way. And so I either have to know exactly what I'm doing or I need to not do it. And so it is really good. And you guys have done a really amazing job of talking about being you know, comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I feel like just being able to be okay with this ambiguity or live a little bit more in that gray area and be aware of my brain trying to tell me I have to either figure it out or I better not do it. And so I feel like all of the play theory principles are, are there to help people just stay engaged with life and be able to take chances and, and not beat ourselves up and, and build upon things. So that, man, that was the longest answer for me to say, what I'm trying to say is we, we often say, okay, if I'm at point A, I have to know what Z is, but in reality, no, get from A to B and B to C and C to D and, and things will look different and just accept it and enjoy the ride, so to speak. That's right. And this is a great segue into be present because mm. thinking about point Z, so far ahead in the future, we're missing out on the moment. And so that's another thing I want to bring in here. Now, you've worked with thousands of people at this point mm. in your in your career yeah. doing therapy. You've seen firsthand as you've worked in one-on-one -on -one settings, people trying to make some major changes in their lives. So I'm curious to know from your therapist perspective and having all this firsthand experience, what role does be present play in someone's journey to overcome an issue or to fix a relationship or just in that therapy setting? How have you seen this idea of being present and mindful play into that journey? Okay. Are you okay if I go, uh, if I give a little speech here, one of my favorite ones? Is that yes, okay, Neil? Please. Okay. I'll watch the clock, but this is such a good set. You set me up for my favorite thing to talk about. 
And that is my first seven or eight years as a therapist, I was schooled in what most every therapist learns in grad school. And that is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which is this uh, model that your thoughts lead, your emotions lead, your behaviors. And I was a practicing CBT therapist. You would want to do something. And if you then decided you really didn't feel like doing it, you would work from this place of, you know, you've got these automatic negative thoughts or the stinking thinking, or they would have these little acronyms, but it was working from a place of saying you're broken in this area. And now you just need to think something different and then it will lead to a different behavior. There's amazing drills to say, okay, if somebody doesn't call you back as a CBT therapist, and if you're frustrated with it as the CBT therapist, you're saying, okay, well, that's just the automatic negative thoughts. Like you need to look at some other things. Maybe they lost their phone. Maybe they got, I don't know, taken away by a pack of wolves or something. And so then you do these drills and somebody's like, okay, yeah, maybe they do. And you get that little bit of a spike of, yeah, maybe that's the case. And then the client would leave and then the person still hasn't called them for a few days. And they're saying, okay, maybe it's the wolves thing or maybe they lost their phone, but then, but why am I still feeling so frustrated? And so it's almost like, okay, I can't just decide that it's something else than just magically be happy about it. And so then I go to this training at one point where I do learn this concept called acceptance and commitment therapy. And it was such a game changer because it starts with the process of you're not broken, you're human. And so you are the only person that's ever walked the face of the earth with your unique set of experiences from your nature and your nurture and your birth order and your DNA and your abandonment and your rejection and all those things. So if you are having a, a difficult time because someone hasn't called you back and you're frustrated, um, that's just what it is. There isn't a what's wrong with me. There isn't a why am I thinking this? There isn't a I know I shouldn't be thinking this. It's more of a being talk about being present. It's check this out. This is what I'm thinking. And so already we're operating from a place of acceptance and, and then being present. And so now it is a, well, what are your goals? You know, if your goal is a connection with that other person, then we're going to start pointing ourselves toward, you know, whenever we catch ourselves in these, what's wrong with me thoughts, when I notice I'm thinking that, then that is the moment to say interesting. And I'm going to come back to the very present moment so that I can now move toward some value-based goal. If I have a value of connection with other people, then I'm going to say, okay, then of course I'm going to feel frustrated that I've reached out to this person and they haven't gotten back to me because I'm a human being and that's my experience. I'm having it. So then what's my goal? If my goal is a connection, then my brain may say, all right, so I need to reach out to them again. But then your brain's going to say, well, yeah, you seem desperate, or you might feel like you're being annoying. And this is the beautiful part where you get to say, okay, I'm not even arguing. That's maybe a true statement, maybe not. Is that a workable or productive thought toward this goal I have of connection? And so that's where I really feel like the being present is when we recognize that we are thinking or we recognize that we're worrying or we recognize that we're feeling, then we just notice that and we notice that we're human and we're having an experience and we come back to the present moment and now we turn towards some value-based goal or value-based action. So I notice that a lot of times when people are, let's just take an example of somebody that is feeling flat or frustrated. As a matter of fact, can I give you a real example? Yes, please. So I took one of my adult daughters and her husband over the summer to this NBA summer league basketball games in Las Vegas. I love this whole experience. We were there with my wife and we had these really good seats and we're there and it's just game after game. So in my mind, this is a dream. I have family here. I love basketball. We have these great seats. It's so good. But after I'm sitting through the third game and I just realized I'm pretty flat. I mean, I'm kind of bummed if I'm being honest. And so my first thought as a human being is like, geez, what's wrong with me? My family's here. We got these seats. You like basketball. And as soon as I noticed that I was feeling flat, and as soon as I noticed I was having these thoughts, then I was able to go, oh, okay, check that out. I'm, I'm noticing that I'm feeling flat. I'm noticing that I'm thinking that I should be happier. 
And so then I don't try to stop the thought because if I tell myself, don't think that, we know how thought suppression works. Right now, don't think of a chocolate cake. Everybody just thought of a chocolate cake. So I can't tell myself, don't think that. If I ask myself, what's wrong with me for thinking that? Nothing, I'm a human being. And I can't just magically tell myself, just be super happy about this. You know, it, it feels good for a minute, but then two minutes later, I haven't done anything about it and I feel flat again. But I have this value of knowledge and I have this value of curiosity. So in that moment, I recognize this feeling of flat and then I pull out my phone and then I start looking at some of the players that are on the teams. Because in the summer league, there are all these people that don't have contracts trying to make a team. And I love the human interest story behind that. So I remember this one person that we see and he has this bleach blonde hair and he's like very tan. He looks like he's straight from the beach, you know? And so I find him and it turns out 2014 Lithuanian dunk champion who's never played in the NBA, who is the oldest guy on anybody's roster. And so now all of a sudden I'm chanting his name. I'm, I'm a big you know, go Timo or whatever his name was. Or I look at another person and, and he's a highly rated draft pick and we look him up. He had gotten in a little bit of trouble in college and then had spent some time uh, away from the team and then really put himself together. So I turned to my value of knowledge and curiosity. Now I'm having a shared experience with my family and now I'm back to the present moment. And so mm. instead of the feeling like what's wrong with me or I shouldn't be thinking this, you notice it, you come back to the present moment, you turn to a value and now you're having more of a connected experience. So oh that might've been the world's longest answer. Am I right? <laughs> it was beautiful. There was so much goodness in there. And I love how you're bringing in the awareness piece of your thoughts. Mm. You're bringing in the actionable um, step. I loved in your story how you grounded in the moment in a powerful mm -hmm. way by looking up the players and really taking interest. And in, again, that curiosity playing in there to really ground in the moment. That was Perfect. And it's funny in that example too, because I had shared that on some podcast episode a while ago. And then I had a little bit of feedback for somebody saying, okay, I was feeling down. I pulled out my phone and I couldn't remember what I'm supposed to look up. And so then I was really angry <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, bless your heart. But that means that's not your value. He was basically doing a socially compliant goal. I guess I'm supposed to look up stuff on my phone. Like that'll make me happy. No, it's to find out what, what matters to you. What are your values and what are actionable steps toward your values? Here's kind of an interesting nugget on that end is being present with your emotions and kind of gauging your emotional reaction to what you're doing, your environment might be an indication if there is that misalignment between your core values mm. and something you're doing. And I think that's another way you could tie in being present. So th that's interesting, but I want to get in one more question about being present. And again, going back to therapy is an amazing tool to find that overall wellness and happiness, right, is something obviously we talk a lot about here on the Happiness Playbook. And yeah. as people warm up to therapy, what advice would you give somebody to get the most out of their therapy? If they wanted to go to a therapist, maybe they're, they're kind of on the fence about it and you could just yeah. say, hey, I've seen firsthand the people that succeed and the people that struggle a little bit with going through therapy. Tips or advice would you give them? And this isn't the pro tip, by the way. This is just a bonus question. I so appreciate this question because there's a lot of data that backs up that you really do need to feel a, a connection with your therapist. And, and that's more important even than the modality that they use, because if you don't feel a connection or you don't feel somewhat of, I don't know, a, a rapport with your therapist, then you are going to be fighting this almost subconscious reactance or that instant negative reaction of being told what to do by someone that you don't necessarily feel a connection with. And so as therapists, we talk about this often, it is absolutely okay for you to say, I'm not necessarily feeling a fit. 
Can you give me referrals? But the hard part is if somebody's coming into therapy, they already feel pretty open or vulnerable. And I know that can be a really difficult thing. So in a perfect world, even maybe you're researching your therapist ahead of time, there's most, uh, most every therapist now are on websites like psychologytoday.com or those sort of things. So you can usually read a pretty good bio or find a website or, I mean, boy, how many of us now have podcasts? You can really kind of get an idea of who that therapist is. Once you engaged in therapy, I often do say in the first sessions, it's the sooner you can open up, even though that can feel pretty awkward to open up to a stranger, the better, because so often I will, as, and I get it, that people will um, start to share more and more as they are in therapy. I understand that process, but often the therapist is trying to meet the client where they're at. And so they may be sharing some experiences that were missing some pretty key data points. And so you may start having someone look at some certain things in their lives. And then a few weeks later, they come back and they say, hey, I got to add this significant piece to what we were talking about before. And as a therapist, sometimes, you know, you just inside think, oh, I would have loved to have known that a few weeks ago. That would have been amazing. But I know that it's part of the process of unfolding. And so my first step is, please, absolutely, if you are even remotely thinking about going to therapy or seeing a therapist, then that means it would be a great idea. If you're not thinking about it, I love when people come up to me and they say, I've never been to therapy. Do you think I need therapy? And the answer is yes, it is. Because <laughs> it doesn't hurt to, to be able to have someone that you can bounce things off of. Because I do find it interesting that when people keep things inside, they don't typically work out to, and then we lived happily ever after. The brain is wired to go down uh, more of a negative path. I mean, you have to be, and that's why I love your podcast. You have to be so intentional about happiness. Because just a little fun fact here, I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with my intern, Nate Christensen, who knows he's my brain guy. He knows everything about the brain. And he was sharing some data that our brain is wired for the negative because the brain is a giant don't get killed device. Because if the brain, if, if it makes one bad mistake, that could be the last one. And he gave this brilliant example from a book that we were talking about where he said, imagine somebody looking over the plains and they see this impala, this beautiful creature that he must go and, and kill for food. We're talking about in olden times. And so then he knows if he does this, everyone will eat and the village will be happy. But then if out of the corner of his eye, he spots a lion that's in the vicinity, then he is absolutely going to say, I think I'll, I think I'll come back tomorrow. Because if he goes and doesn't get that right and that lion kills him, that is the last chance he has to be able to provide for his tribe. And so we're wired to then, in essence, if situations aren't ideal, then to kick the can down the road. And just, I know this isn't what we were talking about, but the fascinating piece of that story is that in this episode, I had shared that it's fascinating that now today, what our modern mind does is it says, okay, I'm going to write this research paper when I feel there is no lion present. When I've got a little more rest, when I have a little more time, after I've answered these emails or whatever it is. And so our brain still is wired to say, I have to set things up to be kind of ideal or else then I might not have another chance. But it's just a story our brain tells us that is oftentimes kicking that can down the road until we uh, run out of time. And then our old friend procrastination kicks in and then we're forced by a hard deadline to, to then make something happen. Oh, so many valuable nuggets. If you're listening right now and you're not subscribed to the Virtual Couch Podcast, what are you doing? <laughs> Thank you, Neil. If you want more nuggets like that, Tony does a great job breaking things down and sharing his experience over there. So make sure you go check that out. Tony, thank you so much for sharing 
so much value. We could go on for hours like this. We could. We could. <laughs> just um, share so much good stuff here. I love all of the therapist perspective, just the research and everything that's grounded in there and the validation really for what we're doing, that you've seen value in what we're doing and been such a cheerleader for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we um, sign off here, we always ask the question for yeah. our pro team um, players, our MVPs on Team Happiness. What is the one pro tip you would share with our listeners to boost their happiness and well-being? Okay. You just said a minute ago, if you're not watching or subscribe to the virtual couch, then check it out. My pro tip has to do with the check this out. And if you're okay, I know I'm going to give you 1.25 pro tips if that's okay. Perfect. So the 0.25 is when we're talking about mindfulness. And, and again, I'm a big advocate of, I do a daily mindfulness practice. I've got an app that I listen to and guided and, and those sort of things. And I often feel like people don't want to take the time to do that. And so there is an amazing mindfulness exercise that I do every night before I go to bed. I do it when I'm, when I'm waiting for uh, at church for you know things to, to happen or but it's you can simply just sit up and breathe in through your nose count to one and out through your mouth and count to two in through your nose count to three and try to get to ten it is the most fascinating experience because often you'll be at one two three and then you're thinking about your day and when you notice it you know I notice I'm no longer counting you don't beat yourself up about it and you gently come back and start over at one and sometimes you'll find that I'm now at number 15 or 16. And so it's just a practice of that when I am noticing, then I come back to the present. And so that's something that you can do in just when you're standing in line before you go to bed. But to check this out, my pro tip, and I did an episode on this a few weeks ago, look at yourself or your brain as two things. You've got thinking and observing. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is help people get outside of their mind, especially when they're saying, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm bad, you know, that sort of thing that you want to be able to step back. So there's a thinking mind, which is doing all the thinking. I'm thinking all of these things. And then there's an observing self. And so when you notice that you are really thinking and you're ruminating and you're worrying or you're making these terms up, but depressing or anxiety, that <laughs> one of the best things you can do is in that moment, when you notice it, take a step back to the observing self. And instead of thinking the I'm angry, then it's step back and observe and check yourself out in that moment and say, man, check that out. I'm noticing that I am angry. And so you want to start to be able to step back from the moment because you are Neil. I am Tony. We have amazing lives and amazing experiences and amazing, amazing God-given talents and gifts and abilities. But when things happen, when we do get overwhelmed, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, stressed, that then often we start to feel like we are less than. We feel like we are broken. We feel like we are angry or these sort of things. But we are still at our core, this unique individual, amazing child of God who is here with these individual gifts and talents and abilities. And so when we are getting caught up in anything other than being present and really figuring out who we are, it's a waste of emotional calories. It really is. And so when we notice that we're thinking those things, step back and say, check that out. I'm noticing I'm feeling angry because now we can look at it a little bit more objectively and notice the things that have led up to the, the moment where we feel that way. And that's going to be one of the most powerful tools on your way to recovery and on your way to now stepping in, being present, letting go and just play. Tony, thank you for being on Team Happiness. It was an absolute honor to have you. Grateful to be here. If you haven't checked out the virtual couch, make sure you go subscribe to that. Is there anything else that you're up to that you want to share with the listeners that they can check out? Go head over to TonyOverbay.com when you get a chance. I've got a parenting course and an addiction recovery course and a marriage course, and I love it all. This is my passion. It's my jam. And again, thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show. Absolute pleasure. You are amazing. Have an amazing day. Hey, thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil.